Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience by listening to the Capital Ideas podcast today. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the defense today from that win over the Falcons 17-9 on Saturday, on Christmas Eve. Uh, And here to talk about it with me is Tyler Gross. Tyler, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I, I can't complain, not even a little bit. Uh, Thanks for having all, me back. Uh, well, appreciate it. Some good short topics. And and uh, tell us uh, where people can talk football with you online. <clears throat> um, uh, well, I've I've started slightly to get on Twitter. I think I'm CrazyRaven88 with a K. Um, I'm a thousand percent more active than I was before I did the first couple pods with you, which is to say mildly active. <laughs> okay all right great but uh so if you, you want to leave comments for tyler you can you can certainly put those at the bottom of the uh uh at, of the show on the website or you can hit them up at, at crazy raven 88 on twitter i have to acknowledge our, our sponsor before we move on and thank liquid death the water that will brutally murder your thirst uh please give their product a try they've been good to us uh let's talk a little bit about about yesterday it, it did not quite perhaps have the feel of a playoff atmosphere just because it was so cold. Um, there, I guess there are similarities there. There's also a lot of muted cheering in a situation like that. Um, but the Ravens are now in a nice position to 
rest as they see fit over these last two weeks. There's nothing they absolutely have to do to get into the, the, the tournament. They are there. Um, we just found out about, I don't know if you heard it, this awful flex game coming up next Sunday night. Just the last thing that I want is a Sunday night game against the Steelers. Oh, week. no, they flexed us into the Sunday night? Yep. Ugh. Oh, yep. I did not hear about that. Yes, but so it'll be a little warmer this next week. But this this last week, the coldest game on record uh, for the Ravens at home, and it it, it was it. I've been there during a blizzard in 2013 against the Vikings. Uh, I've been for some very cold playoff games on the road, and and one at Green Bay uh, uh, years back uh, during the regular season. But uh, uh, this was really brutally, brutally cold. Uh, 17 uh, degrees, right? Yeah, uh, at game time, might have even been lower than that at one point. So uh, you know you're. you're layered up still feet is getting cold by the end of the game but uh but it's still not as quite not as quite as cold as the mile high miracle or the game where they ran the ball 52 times against new england and won, or the uh loss to green bay in 2009 those three games definitely substantially mm-hmm. colder yeah uh but not it's it's uh it takes away a lot of the fun of watching football to be out there in the cold i will say that and i understand there are a lot of people who didn't go and and I, the more I get older, the more I, I understand why they uh, want to miss such games. And uh, you give them a pass. I, I give them a, I give them a pass. But uh, did you but go? I, I, did you say earlier? Oh, yeah. Did you? You did. <laughs> yeah, I, I always go. But uh, uh, anyway, that's just is what it is. Um, yeah. In terms of the game itself, I, I don't think this is a game again that you can easily attribute to either the offense or defense. The defense probably outplayed the offense in this game in terms of what they provided. They they did the job again. They were marvelous inside the red zone. Um, very tough injury week for this defense mm. coming in with Campbell's, uh, Campbell, Peters, and Jackson all out. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know what you mean. You know, it's it's one of those games where there wasn't one unit that was overwhelmingly more more bright than the other but i would still give the nod to the defense for the additional you know injuries they were dealing with we kind of knew the this is week three of the hunley experiment so at least we've had time to tweak the offense around them yeah i i I mean there has been time to do that and they've and they've i think they got back to a formula that that was fairly good to to run the ball extensively they only depended on a couple big plays from huntley and um, at this point, you know, all big plays are kind of an additive surprise to me. I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting really anything from Tyler. Huntley yeah. How big, how much was your jaw dropped on that first pass to Watkins drive yeah. one? Yeah. That was pretty amazing. The drive to right Andrews was dropped in there nicely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both of those were nice to see for sure. Yeah. He, the, the Watkins throw kind of reminds me of the throw to Drake from that first game because it's kind of thrown to an open point on the field. It, it seemed like it had some risk associated with it, but it was just it was really dropped in there and at a point where uh, the defenders couldn't get to it. And uh, yeah. and Watkins made a nice play after the catch also. If you were going to make the argument for the offensive unit being more impressive, you could point to the fact that we we signed a receiver off waivers who was cut by another team who has mm-hmm. – moderate to weak depth at wide receiver and that person instantly became our number one or two option yeah <laughs> you know, three days later <laughs> yeah. you do have that it's the skeleton uh, crew out there right now i right now the ravens are relying on a couple of guys they're they're guys who are close to 10 yards per target uh with with djax and watson because that's what he basically had when he was at green bay i think he's probably over it now with the with the uh catch here um it's amazing they have a couple of older players who are who are still producing, you know, at least 
put together, you know, not a full season of work or anything, but uh, but at a very high level in terms of yards per target. So, uh, and without Jackson is is amazing. I know it's so it's so weird. I, I it's always hard for me to correlate if what you're seeing on the field, whether it be offensive or on the defensive side, if what you're seeing is how much of it is a product of the scheme and the coaches figuring out ways to utilize what they have and and people and the players just getting open because people are always giving Roman a hard time. Why can't you get Duvernay the ball, this or that? And then you sign these old dudes off the scrap heap and they just start producing. So, you know, it's, it's strange. It's like, is it just the players or is, are the coaches better at utilizing certain talents than others? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, you definitely have a little more speed here than you had before with the, with the additions of, of Jackson and uh, uh, Deshaun Jackson, obviously, I mean, and, and uh, Watkins. But it's uh it it shouldn't be a lot more speed. I mean, it's certainly Duvernay yeah. is, is one of the faster players in the league, and uh, and that really you know is it it should be something that you should be able to scheme up with. You know, no matter how you look at it, I think it's fair to say that the Ravens have a pretty significant skill position talent deficit right now, mm-hmm. uh, m- most significantly with the with the loss of of uh, Lamar Bateman. Oh yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> well, Bateman too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean that that you know that that sad stat of the first touchdown to a wide receiver since week three. I was like, well, that you know, losing Bateman didn't help. Didn't yeah. help for sure. If, I'm sure that streak wouldn't have been as long. Right. Any, I mean, any expectations of this offense, I think, uh, are fairly unreasonable. I, I think you know, I, I'm not saying give Roman a pass, and I think he's probably gone. I think there's other reasons why he'll be gone other than just. <laughs> He hasn't been that great this year, um, mm-hmm. but but the but the I mean to really expect much out of this offense. I mean the Ravens' offense is overperforming, if anything, this season right. in terms of where they are and and uh, and who they have on on the field. Um, they've done. A, I think you know Roman has done a pretty good job of leveraging the asset that they do have, which is good, which is the offensive line now that's together again. And, yeah. Yeah, you know, they're, they're in a weird spot, too. This happens with teams sometimes, but, you know, Jacksonville last year where it's it's so chaotic and dysfunctional that you you don't know who you're giving pass to is T- Trevor Lawrence as bad as he looked and Travis Etienne, you know, and you, it, it, then the coaching staff goes away and then you realize there were the gems that were being underutilized. And some of these some of these games with Roman where I've never been as much of a detractor as the others, but sometimes, you know, like, where you where you're like pressed up against the end zone you're on the two yard line and he's calling two straight passing plays and you're just you know i don't know there's, there's sometimes i'm just i'm just very confused by the personnel or the plays that he chooses to call that was with anthony brown you're talking about right you're the the, the passing yeah. plays. okay yeah yeah like and i you know but but again some of it is like he's you're giving him so little to work with and he, he might just be going off of you know, like his education saying, well, this is the look they're giving us. This is what should work. So it's hard to, hard to say, but either way, I'm, I agree with you. I think he's probably gone. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, talk to talk defense again. Uh, you know, one of the players that people wanted to see more of, I think David Ajabo, uh, there's no room for him again in, in yeah. this week. So they, so they had uh, an extra cornerback they wanted to activate and that had more value to them than a fifth, outside linebacker i completely understand it um you know particularly i think at a game against the falcons where they weren't expecting a lot of passing they were really expecting the falcons to do what they more or less did which is run the ball a lot 
um, they uh, they probably did the right thing in terms of of having an extra corner available. Hmm. Well, it's a, I mean, it's interesting because you think if you're the Falcons, I think are a bottom four pass offense. So if you're expecting more run, you would think it would put more value on the defensive end outside linebacker than the cornerback. But, you know, the coaching staff knows knows where that stuff lies with the values. And obviously we're down a cornerback. So, I mean, at cornerback, the way I look at it, I'm sorry. And I, I, I imply things that, that, you know, that don't aren't obvious maybe sometimes, but with a cornerback, you always get a special teams player. So, so you don't always have that with a Jabo uh, and outside linebacker. I know he did play a little bit on special teams. He played something like four special team snaps the week he was active, mm-hmm. but with a cornerback, you always have a special teams player. So that's good. And if you're talking about, if the other team is going to pass, you're much more excited about having that extra cornerback to give you that extra little bit of dip than the fifth outside linebacker who can help you get into a race car package or whatever other flexi looks you want to do um, in terms of a, of, of third down. The Ravens actually, we'll get into this a little bit later, but played very little differentiation of package this week. Um, yeah, yeah, I and, noticed that. Uh, yeah, so we'll uh, <laughs> we'll discussion about that. But they, but you know, I, I I do understand why this wasn't the right week to get a job in there. Maybe next week will be a good one because the the Steelers, um, you know, not particularly efficient running the football. I think that might be a a better opportunity to get an additional pass rusher on. I hope so. I'd I'd like to see him out there a little bit. He's getting he got healthy kind of at the worst time because we already have, we have two inside linebackers that are basically never coming off the field. Right. And Hamilton has just completely blossomed and turned into the go-to slot cornerback or third safety, whatever. So we basically have two extra linebackers and an extra big, huge cornerback or big safety at any time. So his, his need is a little less than at the beginning of the year, pre JPP and stuff. Yeah. They really only, only would use him right now in, a couple of different looks and you know they have a they have a race car nickel they can run do they could do occasionally take an inside linebacker off the field to play a jumbo nickel uh that wouldn't typically include him it would have to be something where it's a where it's a, a p- obvious passing down and they put either three or four outside linebackers on the field and then you're really talking about limiting the total universe of snaps at that point uh yeah. so it's not it's uh, maybe maybe one of these next two weeks they'll say well you know screw it we've got a lot of people inactive this week let's bring them up uh, he'll be our fourth outside linebacker instead of our fifth. So he'll sit somebody else down. Like, you know, it, it doesn't seem possible at this point, but JPP or, you know, somebody else has sat down and, and we'll play him on a lot of rundowns as well. And, and yeah. just, you know, take the chance on that. Or a half measure. J, I mean, JPP has been a godsend, but they've been getting the most out of him as they can. So, you know, maybe you give him a little bit more rest, cut his, cut his snaps in half over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I just warn you a technical point here. I, I'll, I'm going to go to private chat and signal you there because my camera is giving a lot of people uh, potential seizures here, Tyler. So I'm not going to, uh, <laughs> we won't have that. But if you're listening to this on a podcast, this does not affect you in any way. So uh, let's continue on here. The Ravens have continued uh, their their streak of sacks. So they had uh, a, you know, another game with uh, two plus sacks. They took care of it all on the second drive. Mm. Yeah, another good a, a good showing there. I thought overall, I didn't really think that the pass rush got there, got home the same way it has early, uh, earlier on in the season. It was probably the weaker of the three parts of the defense, the coverage, the run game, you know, the pass rush. Mm-hmm. I would general, agree. But by now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. 
Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable Tallboy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take Liquid Death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take Liquid Death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Yeah, so so uh, nice to get that taken care of early. One of them even looked like kind of a designed run play by Ritter and uh, they they generously called it a sack and they gave it to Matt Abike and not not to Roquan Smith, who seemed to Roquan Smith was the guy who kind of forced the slide by running up to to Ritter on that very first S zero. And Matabike then I think probably touched him down, but it was real close in terms of the timing on the touchdown, and they gave it to uh they gave it to Matabike, which was which was generous to to him in this hmm. case, but but uh did, it doesn't really did matter. Did they do that? Did they do that on the um the similar play with Owe? Where he was trying to uh, Ritter ran out, rolled out to the right on second and like two or three or something, and then basically like went in, into the slide as Owe was pursuing, but it was because of the Roquan coming in for the hit. Did they give it to Owe on that? Uh, and that would have been just a tackle, I think, because there might have been positive yardage involved. And I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I which think game it was a couple was yard game. Um, this week, the similar play was Queen and Stevens on the sideline. That was like two plays later, the S minus six, and that was they split that even though it was uh, like an out-of-bounds uh, kind of a push. Uh, but they split it evenly. So, so it was. It, I, I, I don't care. <laughs> you know? yeah. And they can always go back to the league and say and ask them to change that statistic, which they do apparently send in a fair number of plays for a change of statistics uh, each week. And then the game books get updated um, after that, or they at least have an update to the statistics they, they distribute. So – uh yeah anyway we we may see an update on something like that or, or we may not um yeah but oftentimes it's over something like a sack that a player really wants the sack they'll say <laughs> something and then the either i don't know if it's the media department or the uh uh which department exactly sends it in i know they get advice from from the folks in coaching and whatnot to to redistribute things well this was not an easy game for tackle tracking if you were doing it at home because huh. A lot of missed solo tackles and a lot of gang tackling pursuit to the football stuff that, you know, you're just trying to, after the play, like what number, who was that at the bottom of the, you know? Very, very, very true. Um, You know, this is one of those games, there's good and bad that comes out of that statement, but it's very insightful because um, a lot of swarming team defense in this game, which is great. You want to see that against the run. And, and, you know, you had these knock the player off his pins. He runs, gets retracted, and goes three yards the wrong way, then comes back and he gets tackled by another guy at the line of scrimmage. A lot of that kind of thing was happening during this game, a lot of retracking, a lot of positive missed tackles, as I call it, and also some negative missed tackles that were kind of minimized by the fact that they, you know, they kept getting hit by these billiard balls uh, one at a time as they, uh, as they moved. Yeah, up. But, the bumper car defense. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I had, a, I had a thought about that after the game um, that I don't know. I wanted to run by you to see what you thought about it. But the, the Ravens, historically speaking, have always been known for pursuits of the football and the swarming team tackling defense. And in, I'm, I'm wondering if the team actually under or, or places a lower value on individual tackling because it's less of a hindrance to the defense because of the pursuit, the pursuit to the ball. So like, not that Hamilton is a bad tackler, but on that, that, that Hamilton play, he, he blows up the screen pass and whips the guy around, but doesn't make the tackle. Right. But within half a yard, there's Roquan and then there's Chuck Clark. So it's still a loss and it's ultimately a net positive. I mean, I, you know, it's an interesting thing because I, I, there's no defensive coordinator anywhere who's going to tell you that tackling's not important. We really want people in there pinballing people and putting their shoulder on people first. They're not going to say that. They're going to, you know, they're going to say they want <laughs> no, they yeah, want it all. <laughs> and and uh, uh, but the truth of the matter is, there's missed tackles and there's missed tackles, and the ones that that retrack a runner in particular have some value. I think you know you want to play fast, and that's that may be part of where they would say, "Hey, good thing you got there. Next time, wrap up properly," kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there were other ones in the middle of the line of scrimmage. Matabike in this game had three missed tackles as I, as I counted them. Yeah. Uh, I saw those. Yeah. So it wasn't a real good, real good day for him in, in those terms. Uh, mm-hmm. though, you know, he, he made some other good plays. I don't mean to belittle his performance entirely, but, but in, as a tackler, he had a particularly tough day and the Ravens overall had a fair number, but they didn't have a lot of the ones made, um, at safety on the back end, that corner that lead to really big plays. They had, they had, uh, Hamilton. Um, that was that was the worst one. Yeah, and that one at minus four. Somebody made a miss had a missed tackle at minus four that then went for an eight yard gain. So it was like a twelve yard differential. And I, I'll have to look that one up on mm. on where that was. But as we go through this, I'll do that. Was that uh, was that um, Algier? Was it on the? I think it was on Algier, and I forget if yeah, it was I'm a runner pass to the right. Yeah, I'm um, trying to remember who that. I know I know what you're talking about. Well, so what I, yeah, I mean, what I, what I obviously tackling is very important, but I don't know if you were watching the Bucks earlier on the first half of the season, but it was atrocious tackling and it was killing them in games. Mm-hmm. Devin White and just different guys were whiffing on tackles and they were leading to like 30 yard gains constantly. So if you have bad tackles on a team that doesn't play like good pursuit football and, and you know, swarming uh, team tackling then it's a s- super important skill set to have but if you're mm-hmm. on a team that can kind of compensate for it i think maybe it's not as in- it's not as big of a deal right i yeah, i agree I, I that's that's a very good one i mean we have another good example from this game is that fourth and one play uh so you know they're down at the goal line trying to finally uh seal the deal basically on the game and they did when oh, they yeah. our when old they buddy queen stuff. <laughs> so uh, it was this one was uh it was urban who missed the tackle at minus five and then mac ended up r- running the play down at the one yard line actually i think he dropped him at the two yard line but it was like it seemed like everybody on the team had a chance to finish the deal and then oh mac, okay i thought mac you, was oh, the yeah. one who finally did it so that was good mac yeah, didn't yeah. have a great didn't have a great day otherwise so that was uh uh that was tough i gotta look at the algier play and they'll really find that for the missed tackle at minus four yeah i, don't I, have I thought you were talking about that queen play on their final that their their that, that final drive where they were in, they were it was like third and two and then fourth and one and they went for it and queen blew the play up in the backfield but algier gained like six more yards to almost pick it up that was a passing play right is that what you're talking about it was like a one plus six N- no i think different one? well it was a so it was like fourth quarter I, I think under three minutes left 
after after they called the Ritter QB draw up the middle and and um, Patrick Queen pulled off on the uh, like off the left guard to stop him short. Then they did that. For some reason, they kept doing this play where I think it was a left toss to the to the offense's left side of the field, and Queen just sh- shot right through and hit Algier in the back at the backfield. But he like broke that tackle and two or three others and pushed forward like four or five yards to almost actually get it. I will take your word for it, but I do not have that exact play as described in my notes, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, see if I can pull it up real quick too. Uh, yeah, sure. That's fine. Um, I would have it for six as probably a missed tackle. And uh, so most of Queen's comments in this game were pretty positive. I thought yeah. most of his notes he had a great game. game. Yeah, really played well. He had the one. You know what's funny is, I don't, I don't know what has happened with this transformation. He's just so much better. But he still has almost every game. He still has a couple of the exact same type of plays, like right. in the goal line on that. Um, I forget which drive it was. He did the classic. You know, one of his main flaws is he over pursues. He goes too far to the left. The guy gets inside yep. of him, and then Roquan has to come and kind of save the day a little bit, which is like. That that's something that we've seen from him a lot. The missed tackles. Um, he he. Okay. I noticed him taking a handful of false steps. I, I got a I got a missed tackle for you at minus four that ended up being an RR eight, and that was uh, on second and seven in quarter one three oh nine. He he mirrored well. Missed tackle at minus four, um, and missed Algier there, uh, and he went for RR eight on that play. So it was a twelve yard difference. It was one of the big ones in the game, but mm. uh, that was, but it was Queen. You said. It was Queen. It was early in the game, uh, so he had that. That was Q one three oh nine. If anyone wants to go look at it, but uh, but yeah. Anyway, I, I miss tackle. There's always a little bit of differentiation in how people how people look at that. But uh, 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 you look at various sources; they're going to have different numbers, and I don't get too bothered about it. It's just definitional usually. All right. So what else? Yeah. Gonna- okay. By the way, sorry. I, I did just pull it up. It's at um the the play I was talking about. It's at six minutes and forty seconds left in the fourth, fourth and two, and it's a like a they hit Algier out wide right after the uh, Ritter run up the middle, and it was Queen in the backfield who uh, who ended up missing the tackle. Six forty in the fourth on fourth and so, one. They lost it at six forty nine to go. Yeah, yeah. So fourth and goal with seven minutes left, six, you know, six, okay. six minutes, 55 left, whatever in the fourth, that fourth and goal play. Okay. So here's what I had on the play is fourth and one, six penetrates off left guard, 68, uh, pancake of 92, bubbles, 25 outside. Didn't have him for a, for a missed tackle in the play, but there, there's a good change of thing there. And then I had Urban missing the tackle at minus five and Mac wrapping up late on that. So it's just mm. a difference of, of opinion on who's responsible for the tackle there. That's great. Sure. Um, Ritter uh, had a terrible first game. Uh, <laughs> the, the, you know, to, to, to put it mildly, eighty-nine net passing yards on thirty plays in his first game. Uh, it, it doubled his success rate to almost to five point eight yards per pass, which is still quite bad. Um, this second week, Ravens twice as good though. Yeah, Ravens incredibly <laughs> put up with years of Flacco at this level. So uh, uh, you know, it's it's really pretty. Uh, uh, the game has changed, obviously some, but but Ritter uh, in particular was uh, was was fairly awful in his first week. He looked a lot better to me from the pocket in this game. Looked more accurate. Looked like he and Drake London had a little bit of of a connection going on. Um, he didn't really have much um, 
didn't look much for other receivers, not too much. Yeah, he you know, I was I was definitely impressed with some of the throws he had like the I think it was Drake London that he had like a gorgeous pass right over Marcus Williams right before Clark on the right side just in front of the goal line. Super tight window that he that he dropped it into and mm-hmm. you know, like you said he had a handful of beautiful throws from the pocket. I thought he I thought he maybe suffers from a little bit of um of the Baker Mayfield complex where he thinks he's a little more athletic than he is. And he, and he hurt himself trying to roll out that Patrick Queen sack didn't need to be a sack, but he was convinced he could beat him to the edge. Yeah. We've, we've had some of that here the last couple of weeks with Huntley, obviously that can be frustrating. This is, this is definitely a game. I mean, I can see the Falcons point of view and I would be screaming at the TV set the entire game for, for, for what happened in terms of, I mean, I, you can start with the penalties because the Ravens were only called it flagged for one time, and it was a it was a ticky tack flag of its own right that DPI yeah. call against uh, a Pepe. Yeah. But the uh, uh, they were flagged six times, and there were some some big ones in there. Uh, I think the problem that the coach had, he was furious about the intentional grounding flag, which really took them out of position to score a touchdown there. But yeah. the problem was that Ritter's aiming point before his arm got hit was somewhere along the sideline, way short of any receiver and way short of the line of scrimmage. And that was probably what the officials were, were looking for. And then the ball came out and it came up probably even short of that. There just wasn't anybody close anywhere in the area. And it was a fairly obvious intentional grounding. Um, I, I thought, you know, seeing it live, I, I said, that's going to be intentional grounding. You know, they always call that flag late. So I, I, I got what I expected. But the other thing, you know, about this game, besides the officials, is the number of times the uh, the Falcons crapped their own bed inside the red zone. I mean, it's got to be like watching Super Bowl three, like a Colts fan, in terms of them, you know, blowing it every time they get inside the twenty yard line. Just an awful game of of performance for the Falcons. I think we can empathize with that. With that feeling, <laughs> yes. yes, I, I so do. Much. I do enjoy being on the other side of it. I got to say. <laughs> Feels a lot better. Uh, I think they got some bad breaks, though, for sure. I, I yeah. think I think the um, I was pretty surprised, even on review, that they didn't overturn that incompletion. That I think it was um, Queen in coverage on looked like maybe a crossing route or a slant. Yeah, we he, rolled over. He let the tight end beat him across the front of his face, which is also something he's he's had issues with. But even on the replay, I was like, "That's the, I mean, I don't know. It looked like a completion." And then Pepe, I think Queen needs to give his Oscar to Pepe. For that acting job on the holding call, that was pretty good. <laughs> uh, wait a minute, Pe- Pepe's acting job on the DPI, you're saying? Um, Stevens, Stevens, sorry. Um, okay, got it. The, the you know, this when he Stevens kind of flopped backwards and it looked like he was getting held. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was he sold it very well. That's, Love that's it. the way you should you should flail your arms as soon as you know you're beat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You have to you have to put your arms facing up like what did I do when you commit the yeah. penalty? And then if you get beat, you flop up like I, I don't know what's happening to me. Yeah. I I need some protection here, yes. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh uh, I think there's some good things that happened in this game. You mentioned the connection with London and uh you know London undid a lot of what he did with that forced fumble. It was an interesting situation because he knew the ball wasn't in the perfect spot and he's trying to grab it like <clears throat> a, like a third grader try to grab a football that's like too big for him all of a sudden, which is funny to say because London's 6'5", mm-hmm. but ball got punched out. Such such an accurate punch out from Humphrey there. It was great to see. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a tough spot because 
you're to a certain extent you're playing with house money on fourth down like that you know that that fumble actually helped them ultimately like if you drop the pass we get the ball 20 yards closer so i don't know i mean either way if you're gonna if that's a a real risk as the wide receiver you'd want them to just catch it and fall down or do whatever they can to keep the ball but i also I, i you know i could understand why a young receiver was kind of thinking hey this is all all that needs to happen is that we complete this and then he loses track of the fact that humphrey's got bats for arms yeah yeah that was uh impressive certainly play by there him by him there um go back to the red zone success the falcons were 0 for 4 in the game the ravens opponents now five of their last 19 in the red zone which is just absolutely unbelievably good i mean i i, I like bend but not break defense i wouldn't want to depend on this to continue at this level it's just so extraordinarily good uh you know it's it's hard to fathom well yeah so you wouldn't you'd be able to explain this better than i could for sure but i was i I feel like part of the reason that it's had such a transformative you know it's been so transformative since basically we got roquan is that we went from having one linebacker who was not playing as well to having two linebackers who were both playing extremely well. And mm-hmm. so you've essentially, you know, it's significantly increased your run support. And then I don't know how, I don't know how they're doing this, but they, the Ravens defense is continually baiting offenses into testing Humphrey in on these fade routes, these one-on-one. I don't know if that's intentional, uh, you know, McDonald's doing that on purpose, but it it's like a free two or three incompletions a game where they're just like, oh, there's one-on-one coverage. Let's just toss it up. <laughs> oh, the, the, uh, the, the median in the league, literally the median is 53.33% because eight, the, the tie for 18th is at 53.33%. You really get a, a, a better median than that. Uh, but the uh, the Ravens these last uh, what I guess it's about six games now are at twenty six sorry five nineteenths twenty six point three percent so that's that's truly outstanding the best in the entire league for this season is New England at about thirty eight and a half percent so I can tell you the Ravens are really getting it done right now um, Falcons also you, went go ahead oh I was just going to ask what do you what do you think but what have you noticed that you think has been the significant change that's made it better? Yeah, I, um, they have. I mean, they have tremendous run defense down there. I mean, one of the things I pointed to last week was the fact that Hamilton at slot corner is a bigger asset there than he is at say midfield, where you can test his range. So if you if you if you have a faster matchup guy against Hamilton, uh, you test it up. Any kind of zone scheme that the Ravens play in, kind of tight, and most things always devolve to man down there anyway. In general, you can you could say that as things devolve to from from zone to man over the course of many plays. But you but if you uh, if you if you're down close, whatever you're thinking about in terms of a zone responsibility that a player like Hamilton would have, who's a great physical specimen but doesn't have the greatest speed, is going to really help you there. I think that's true at linebacker too. Uh, at at probably both players that Roquan and Patrick's. Um, Ability to get beat over the top between levels two and three is is largely taken away at, at that part of the field. So that helps. Their downhill play then becomes, of course, much more important in terms of what they can do. Um, I think you're right about Humphrey being a very physical corner uh, and be able to to not only uh, create some fade routes that, that the quarterback might be baited into, also allows him to come off his own man and make plays even more often when space is tight. 
So I think you, you've, you've got advantages like that. So I think there are a lot of reasons that are reasonable why the Ravens could have and that they just control the run game like nobody else right now in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. I, I think we would probably be – I think we would actually have a worse uh, red zone percentage if teams consistently started outside of the five but inside of the ten. But once they get inside, once that like four or five-yard line like that happened to the Falcons in this game, teams just think they're just going to run the ball multiple mm-hmm. times in a row and then it actually works against them since that's they're playing to our strength yeah that could be i mean the it's certainly you know the one thing i want to see when the ravens are down there is that they don't get caught with the wrong personnel on the field and this is a big issue i i think there are people out there who don't maybe completely understand this but it's very difficult to substitute when you're down in that part of the field and if you have to call time out to do it it might not be worth it so, so we, the, the, the big risk is that somebody completes an 18-yard pass, say, to the one-yard line while you have nickel on the field. Immediately, the thing that the, the, the team of the ball should be doing is running up to, to the line of scrimmage and running that play immediately because that any, any kind of only two large personnel, meaning you only have two defensive linemen on the field, um, that you have the opportunity to then run against in that tight, going to give the offense a huge uh, op, you know, opportunity to get it done. A lot of some some coaches will call timeout in that situation actually to get good personnel on the field. We've seen the Ravens, in fact, in the past, actually intentionally jump off sides to get the right personnel on the field in those cases. I don't remember, remember this, but in 2019, I think it was against the Bills, they actually had Clark line up in the backfield and mm-hmm. and and grab it at uh, um, Josh Allen's arm as he was snapping the ball to make sure he didn't get a playoff, and then you know. Of course, got called for unabated, and they and they gave him three quarters of a yard or so. But what that what that was done, and Clarkson, I think, had three intentional offsides in his career. Um, it was it, it gave the Ravens a chance to exchange personnel to get heavy, and then once the Ravens have got you there, and they've got both a gaps covered with heavies, and they line up as many as five wide with heavies, you got to have you got to be the Cleveland Browns to get enough movement there to to uh, to get it done. And even the Falcons who have a pretty good offensive line, I, you know, it, it certainly wasn't enough of a strength for them to be able to push in. No. And if I, if I had to, if I had to like boil down a game recap into like one or two words for the offense and defensive overall of this game, it would just be size disparity. Like I felt like our Mm -hmm. offense was bigger and bullying their defense. And I felt like that our size on defense and like physically up front. Well, I'm sure we'll get to the D line was just like causing all kinds of fits and, and messing up all the stuff they wanted to do. So if you're, I, it's an interesting topic there, and and I'll, I, you know, if we're doing the defensive show, but here I still want to talk about this now, and it makes a lot of sense that you know the, them being physically more of a bullying team really played well against the Atlanta Falcons, but the but the the player who was out this game was Cleveland. Now maybe they got Cleveland some snaps, maybe they don't. They actually had McCarry in snap for a couple snaps at right tackle. I don't think there was an injury. There might have been an equipment problem for Moses, but we just noticed it when we're doing the offensive line scoring tonight, and. He, one of one of the plays he pulled. Now that hasn't been a problem of Moses all. Moses has been a very effective puller uh, this season, but they had they had McCarry in there for a couple of snaps, and, and I was just like, okay, what's going on here? And I, I assume equipment problems since Moses came back and did not appear injured in any way. But this is a game where I wonder if they could have gotten 15 good snaps out of Ben Cleveland, who's been. Unbe- I mean, he's only in for 14 snaps this year, but they run the run the ball unbelievably well when he has been in the game. And mm-hmm. he's gotten tremendous push, seems to play very well next to Linderbaum. Linderbaum gets some good tee-ups for him, and, and he's been pushing people like mad. He has not been a decent pass blocker, so he's got that going against him that, that obviously is the more important component of his 
play anyway. But I wonder, you know, you've got Cologne as your eighth offensive lineman. He's a guy who can also play center, but you have McCary who can also play center. You presumably could move somebody like Zeitler there if you really needed to make a change. Would, would Ben Cleveland be a better eighth offensive lineman at this point than Cologne, who, who played very well, by the way, when he when he was in there the previous week? Hmm. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. It could be. I mean, it, it's hard to read sometimes. You can't just take, uh, you know, future projections on what they're going to do with roster spots or or players' roles based on performances because Harbaugh has a proclivity for sticking people in the doghouse, and you know, sometimes you don't know how how long they're going to be in there. So he might still not be crazy about the way Cleveland started off the season. Yeah, and. Uh, let me just say, I really hope that wears off by camp. In fact, I hope it wears off for their end of season conversation. Uh, Cause they, after the season wraps up the next day, they, they meet back at the castle usually. And they tell everybody, you know, here's what we want you to work on. Here's where we see you in terms of next year's team. We want you to come in and compete at center. They said to Ryan Jensen before his last year, year they've, they've told other people different things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I hope they, they, they give Cleveland one, some sort of goal, that means something to him. And so hopefully he, he enjoys the game enough, realizes that his career is really at a crossroads entering year three here. He needs, he needs to get on the field or, or he's yeah. in a lot of trouble here. And that, that um, uh, you know, this, this could potentially be a good opportunity. Kevin Zeitler will be retiring at some point. He probably, probably will not be extended. I'm guessing given the Lamar situation, he probably still will be here next year, uh, but Ben Powers is going. So there'll be a, there'll be an opening at guard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they may, they may decide they have to draft one. Um, but he's certainly in the picture in terms of, of people who'd be there and could potentially have two very good years. Um, and, and it'd be a shame if, if that gets wasted. I just hope that Harbaugh is very clear about what he wants from it. And, and not only that it gives him something to work towards, but maybe that it gives him some actionable objectives for this off season. Say, Hey Ben, you know, here's the thing that's holding you up. I've talked to the offensive line coach. I've talked to Dallas Andrus and, you know, it's, it's your, your footwork is still not where we need it to be. So we'd like you to try go to an offensive line school or something this this offseason. Take six weeks, go to the LaCharles Bentley school or, or one of these others, uh, work with an individual guy maybe. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, 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 would hope, I would hope the same thing for sure. I, I, this is pure speculation, but it, it does seem kind of like the people that it seems like Harbaugh are Harbaugh's guys either like people that he clearly wanted the team to draft or people that he w- likes on the roster that don't live up to his expectations or maybe don't perform <laughs> where he's expecting them to. He's maybe like a little harder on or more disappointed by. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, cer- certainly I think Duvernay was one of his guys and he's yeah. got a big role now. Yeah, but, for sure. But, yeah. Yeah. So, but Cleveland and Cleveland is ben the Mason. I think he wanted fall late or not. Fall, was it? Fall, no, no. Who was the, Tyrese, Tyre, Tyree Phillips. Oh yeah. That was one. Like, it seems like if he sticks his neck out and they get the guy and he's not great, Harb is going to pull the, pull the leash pretty quick. They gave Tyree Phillips a lot of chances at different positions, but they didn't give him any one chance that maybe he could lash leash, lash onto and be that guy. So a lot of people had him projected as the right guard and then they signed Zeitler. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot other people said he's the left guard. And the, the Ravens certainly said that to start, what a couple of consecutive seasons, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and he, they ended up needing him at tackle as a fill in and there he played pretty crappily. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's when it comes down to it, they, uh, you know, they couldn't get it to work out. He got a little bit of Carlos Correa there. I don't know if Brandon Stevens is a hardball guy, but he may be a guy, another guy who's, whose um, development has been impeded 
by uh, not having a single position. I say yeah. Carlos Correa. You know, I don't mean that. I mean Camelot Correa. Yeah, um, yeah. I I feel like Brandon Stevens really felt like um like a, a DeCosta guy, just the way that DeCosta talked about him after they mm-hmm. picked him, and it seemed like it was his thing. He. So I don't know if that's it, but there's been there's definitely a handful of players that you and I could list that have been significantly impacted by j- just the happenstance and the team saying, "Look, we don't we're not really concerned with your development. We need you here, and now we need you here." And it it not everyone can can work that way, right? Right, it definitely doesn't. And then there's other players who get in their own way by wanting to play a different position. I think the classic in 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 my lifetime as a fan has been Michael Orr. A guy who I think was would could potentially have been a an outstanding top tier right tackle from his rookie year, and then when he decided he just have to had to be the left tackle, it was, you know, obviously Orlando Brown probably his he he had more of a skill set to play left tackle, and and he's he's still played well with the Chiefs, maybe not as as well as he'd be at, if he were still at right tackle, but. Or, I mean, it looked like he, he could have been on the way to a Hall of Fame career at right tackle based on his rookie year. And then the, to, to go with that, there was this huge differential in how well he played at each of the two positions, that he played very well at right tackle and like absolute crap at left tackle during that single season. And then, you know, the next year came up and he wanted to play left tackle and the Ravens told Gaither that he had to move to right tackle and they were switching him. And Gaither said, oh, in that case, I'm hurt. And, you know, and, and uh uh, he basically was willing to throw his whole career away after two really good years at left tackle that that people, uh, you know, may forget at this point it, it, just how dominant Gaither was in two thousand eight and nine. I remember that offensive line; that was incredible. You know, I I, I don't know. It's it's hard for me. Like if if the switch to left tackle also came with a significant change in your body or something like that, I could kind of see it. But if you were telling me this person would have had a potentially hall of fame career or perennial pro bowl career and just wanting to play left tackle for one year did irreparable damage in your early twenties. I'd have to have like an offensive lineman explain Why how, yeah, like how, like what kind, other than getting the yips, how are you irreparably changing the fundamentals that you spent your whole life developing by playing one year doing something else? I, you know, that's a very legitimate question because, or of course did move back to right tackle towards the end of his career at the Ravens when they got Eugene Monroe. Uh, in fact, when they got Bryant McKinney, they moved him back over for the postseason after he had been playing the regular season at left tackle poorly in 2012. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, it's a very legitimate question to ask, how did that really impact his career that much? I, I'll just say that, Michael Orr's career was a ski slope in terms of where he started at right tackle and where he ended up, uh, you know, after years. And he played a long career. He didn't really play nearly a, the career you would expect of a player who was both a first round draft pick and played as well as he did as a rookie, uh, which was you know basically the best he ever played. So yeah. disappointing to me. Oh, yeah, for sure. The movie uh, was good, though. <laughs> yeah it's one of the one of the few movies i could I, football movies i could put on for my mother she had a she, had, she had some sort of a health problem had to stay with us for a brief period of time and i i i put that on in that bedroom for her and and she she liked that movie so that's good it's a good watch yeah uh let's talk a little bit i i, I did want to talk about the way they stopped the run here the, the ravens uh only allowed 3.5 yards per carry it's now seven times in the last eight games where the Ravens have held their opponents under four yards per carry. So this is really a uh, looking like one of the very good Ravens units of all time. And that's saying a lot in terms of their ability to stop wow. the run right now. 
So uh, I was saying a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were, you know, you gotta, you gotta filter some of it through the prism of 2022 football and how, how different it is compared to before, you know, when people were building for them more than the past, but either way, the defense, I'm not, I'm not as big of a, defensive line guy as I am. I feel like I'm better with watching the defensive backer or edge or linebacker play. But the defensive line was, especially Jones and Washington, that is a duo that I would really enjoy keeping around. Yeah, that's, uh, that's understandable. I want to do this for the defense here. I'm looking at the offense. I realize I'm looking at the wrong thing here. But the median, let's go with the median rush yards per play in the NFL right now. Is looking like it's right around 445. Minnesota at 444, Washington at 447, or 18 and 19. And the Ravens have allowed only 3.81 yards per play. So while that was a good number in years far past, that is a great number uh, by today's game. And still incredibly, Tennessee and San Francisco are way ahead of them in terms of yards per play. So it shows you just about how far the Ravens were behind the eight ball when they finally picked up Roquan Smith. Hmm. Now, do you think Roquan has had a bigger impact than than the 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 kind of emergence of Washington and then and the addition of JPP, who I thought set the edge really well in this game, and you know just that D line in general uh, holding the line of scrimmage? Uh, it, I think it's a lot of things. I think you're hitting on on a lot of the important ones. They've been very healthy on the defensive line this year. They lost Pierce. That was a big loss. I'm not. I'm not I don't want to minimize it, but mm. largely they they've only had to play a couple games without Campbell. Uh, Washington, I think, has played every game. I don't believe he's missed any. Uh, Matty Bike, I believe, has played every game. Hasn't missed any. So you're, you're, they're they're key defensive lineman. Urban is he? You know, having had a hard time getting snaps this year. He got 28 snaps, I think, in this last game, but. Mm-hmm. He'd been having a really hard time getting on the field, and that tells you you've got a pretty quality defensive line. When when a you know a, a guy who use is used to playing a lot of run snaps in particular, eating up a lot of snaps for for a defense, um, you can't even get him on the field. So I thought that was that was a, a pretty good um, you know, indication that your team is doing well. The other thing is they've they've activated five defensive linemen every game, and that's something the Ravens have not always done in the past. They've had a lot of games where they've activated only four, and I do kind of take that to to mean two things. First of all, there might be a slight change in offense in defensive philosophy that McDonald believes in not being short there. So he says, "Don't ever get, don't ever put me in a position where I only can have four defensive linemen. If we get injured, then we get weak, then we get slow, then we get not what we want on defense. Even though you know in past years they've made up for that by." bringing in outside linebackers to take off a lot of the um, burden off defensive linemen on passing downs. Yeah, it could also, it could have something to do with the fact that the, uh, the majority of the key contributors along that D line are, are up there in age uh, over the 30, yeah. 30, age, 30 year mark. So you're kind of doing it by committee, trying to limit snaps. I, I noticed, I think Houston, I saw him on the field, the least that I've seen him in recent weeks. I, I, I don't know if it was just them, spelling him because they weren't passing as much but they they can just keep their mac was in there they're the urban can like they can just keep turning and burning and sending in guys that are going to give you really good snaps i am <laughs> Let me do something here I, I think i've got the uh uh i gotta make sure i have the right the, the right table up because my, my stuff isn't tabulated on the right here anyway i'll i'll, I'll get back to that in, in a second you made the other points were were is it inside linebacker play? I think it probably is in that in the Getty Roquan has been a huge addition to gap 
integrity on this team. Mm. He does do some some uh, pointing around pre-snap. He definitely does some communication there. We see a lot of that from Peters. I mean, just, I, I really love how this defense seems to have a lot of communicators right now, a lot of guys who, who point people around. It used to be more mostly Chuck Clark uh, was the guy now, you know, I, we, we certainly see it from, from multiple players. Um, and then I think, I think you're also right about it being the outside linebackers that JPP has really stepped up as an edge setter, did, did a really good job. I thought in this game, even though he missed a couple tackles, he, he did a great mm-hmm. job setting the edge for other people to make tackles. Yeah. I'd say it's, he's, it's, he makes it almost too easy sometimes to see the impact he's having sometimes, depending on the technique the defensive end's playing or depending on the the run fit or something, it, it, it can kind of get caught in the wash and you don't really know that they they set the edge they were supposed to. But there was multiple plays where you'll see JPP two or three yards behind the line of scrimmage forcing yeah. the running back to like basically run out of bounds or he's pushed the, the tight end or the tackle so wide that the running back has to cut back into the teeth. And it, I, I'm, I, I don't think... I definitely don't think he would have been unsigned if teams knew he would, he had this much left in the tank. Yeah. I, I think, you know, that's a great point. Um, but you know, maybe we talk for just a 30 seconds or so about what you look for to see when somebody is setting the edge. Well, what do we mean by that? And you know, there's, there's a couple of things, but one is you want to, you want to have a good controlled depth along the line of scrimmage. Uh, if you, if you want to add things, you want to turn that tackle properly so that so that you potentially can have one arm free. Usually the outside arm is the one you want to keep free if you're on the edge to, to make sure you can make a play on that. Um, you, you want to be, if you don't have arms free, you want to be in a position to shed that lineman. Another thing, I mean, if, if you're talking about a crafty veteran like Suggs and what he used to do, he's able to do a bunch of things against pulling linemen, including something that's illegal, which is going low on them and taking out more than one on a play. So he'd get the proper depth. See pulling line and say, "Oh, I don't. I want no part of this." And yet, I will cut block these two guys, and we'll get two for the price of one here. I don't know if you happen to see the game day, by the way. A little bit off topic, but uh, the receiver for the yeah for Green Bay uh, had a had a three for one block on a run play where he knocked down three guys uh, with one block. Never seen no, it. I didn't see. Never it. seen it. Yes. Oh, that's uh, crazy. Yeah, so he, so he he knocked down one guy. Three guys went down, and he st- he he actually stood there and goes one, two, three, like this to the camera. It was absolutely hilarious. It That's one amazing. Of those, one of those moments. Um, yeah, to go back to the 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 defensive end stuff. Um, so like I like that's the kind of those are the kind of things I'll notice. Like, are they square? You know, are their hips square with the line of scrimmage so that they can go one way or the other? JPP has. Uh, he did it at least once during this game, I think, and I've seen him do it a couple times. Where he, if he beats either the tackle or the tight end enough, he'll actually in t- presumably intentionally turn p- more parallel uh, or more, more perpendicular to the line of scrimmage so that he can shed the guy off to the left to get like a running start to close on the cut up in the inside. Meaning he's he's made it impossible for the running back to see positive yards to go outside of to, to the out, edge yeah. that he set. So he flips his hips. Uh, you know, kind of to be perpendicular so he can shed off of that guy and get more of a quick start. He doesn't have to flip his hips. I've seen him do that. that and then that I also watch a really special athlete to, to, to be able I know. To, I mean, to, to be able to understand that. And I, I think he, for the next 40 years, probably JPP is going to have to deal with the, with the firecracker incident, stupid firecracker jokes and all that. But he's a, a very heady ball player. I mean, just, I've been very impressed with him since he got here in those terms. 
he's one of those he's one of the success stories that that causes coaches to draft a lot of busts because I remember him coming out. He was the classic boomer bust. He's he did like 18 consecutive backflips in that draft video. I don't remember if you saw that. I don't remember that. Okay. He was coming out of a small school and he was just one of those guys who tested off the charts, freak athlete stuff. And then he just randomly posted this video of him just doing literally like, I think they were talking about it, maybe being a world record consecutive backflips uninterrupted. And he gets drafted super high and actually turns into the guy that everyone projects. And there's way more of those stories that don't work out, but you know, the, the Deshaun Golston types, but when you, when, when you hit on people like JPP, then everyone is like looking for that next guy, but he, he's a, he's such a great player. Well, really, really appreciated what he's done, certainly for the Ravens. He's come in and, and you know, something they were really lacking was an early down uh, snap eating run defender. And you, you think they're bringing him here as a, as a pass rush component. He's had a minimal impact there, but he's been a tremendous uh, uh, run defender in his, in his time here, which is really what they've used him for. Let's yeah, talk packages. Surprise, surprise me. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, packages. I, 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 uh, yeah, packages it is. So we'll, we'll go through a little bit of this. Uh, don't have a lot to say about it, but many fewer extreme packages in this game. Again, we've been a little bit of an off and on with the extreme packages. The most extreme they got this today, they didn't play any snaps of dime. They had 10 snaps of the rush nickel. I have that incorrect in the notes here. I see, uh, that, that went for an average of 3.8 per play. So they put three outside linebackers on the field with their two linebackers and a, and a nickel defense, but they never were at a point where they said, okay, it's really worth having six defensive backs on the field. That's a... A tip of the hat to what Queen and Smith certainly have done, that that neither of those guys is really coming off the field at all at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, there are there were exceptions. They, they, they probably took them off the field for a handful of plays. I know there were some jumbo nickel they played in this game. Mm-hmm. Are you counting? Is OA, is it OA, um, Bowser, and JPP? Or were those the three? Uh, give me a second to bring it up, and I will tell you. I did not have this up, and I know I did. Or, or maybe it was OA, Bowser, Houston. All right, well, let's check it out. I need a moment here to to do some grabbing. So I, I'm not sure it was the same group every time because it would typically oh, yeah. be different groups of outside linebackers, especially for as many as 10 plays. But mm-hmm. I'll pick the ones I have and I'll take a look at, at who it was. Mm-hmm. Normally, I, I, I kind of put that in the article, but we all we did, Maureen's been laid up and appreciate people being so loyal to the thing and wondering, you know, where's the article this week? Well, uh, I put out a, a star treatment, but I didn't put out the rest because she's been uh, out of it. Yeah, it was different sets of three outside linebackers. The first time it was Bowser, Bowser, Houston, OA, and then it was Bowser, Houston, and Pierre Paul. It did always seem to include Houston and always seem to include uh, Bowser, but it was mm-hmm. OA and Pierre Paul at various times as the third one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, so anyway, they, they played uh, 10 snaps of that. They played... Four snaps of of jumbo nickel, so there they only had one inside linebacker on the field. I, I think that might have been Queen off the field all of those times, but I'm going to check it real quick. Yeah, Queen had four less snaps than Roquan, so that's looked like that that would be where that difference occurred um, in the game. And uh, then they played 34 of the standard nickel. Those gave up 200 yards. It's probably the worst um, uh, result they had. I don't think it was a bad defense at all. Honestly, when you give up less than six yards of play, and you have that few total plays involved, it's hard to get a real bead on whether it's bad, but they're very effective in other packages. Base defense, four yards per play allowed on 19 plays, so they did a good job managing the run out of base in particular. 
Um, and, uh, you know, just didn't really didn't get extreme at all in terms of any of the packages in this game. Yeah. Well, w- w- with where the team is at right now with their defensive personnel, I don't know why they would even want to go to a base nickel. The, the, there's, there's so much better because, you know, part, part of it is your defensive scheme, but then it's also part of it is evaluating your personnel. And I, I don't even know how we're categorizing big nickel versus nickel with respects to KJ's role. I mean, he's basically just playing legitimate slot corner. So he's kind of bridging the gap where you can, you can play both of those, you know, you can play nickel and big nickel depending on how you want to look at it because he's your best option at slot either way. And he could also just play that. I love when they, I love when I see him as essentially the third linebacker um, on the other side of Roquan, Queen Roquan and KJ, who's, who's like, you know, probably has the tight end as his responsibility, but depending on the play, he's just essentially has a run fit. There's so many ways to use him. It's uh, Hamilton's certainly a very special case uh, where he's where he's a, a, a safety who you know they've they've said hey, you're going to play slot corner because that's the best place for you on our defense here. Uh, it'll be interesting. I I I, I wonder kind of how they'll line him up next year. And I agree that by the way with your point that there's not a lot of definitional difference between nickel and big nickel. What I say is those are all forms of big nickel that the Ravens play when you've got Hamilton as a slot corner all the time. But, you know, you could say, hey, he's the best slot corner on our team. Yeah, he's forced to play a little out of position, but he's really a cornerback at that point. He's given the role of a cornerback. And I think there's some truth to that as well. I think that they do limit what they ask him to do defensively. They don't ask him to drag routes as much down the field. They play less man coverage, more zone to take advantage of who he is defensively. Um, And also, I think the general character of this team uh, you know, we can get a little bit frustrated with the with the plays that get made between level two and level three. But the fact of the matter is, it's zone defense that keeps eyes in the backfield and has been winning the Ravens some ball games in terms of the turnover battle. Uh, in, in terms of really having a good sense of where the football it is at any time. Yeah, there were some growing pains early on in the year when, for whatever reason, it, it was just a sieve. You know, of us giving up all these crazy deep plays and miscommunications and. They, you know, decided to transition to the zone, which came with its own kind of form of communication issues and, and growing pains. But it, they've settled in really nicely, obviously, with the blossoming of these other players. But either way, where the defense is at right now, I don't want to change a thing. Yeah. No, I'm I'm in the same spot. And and I mean, honestly, I don't think they can at this point. I mean, yeah. they, should, they should really feel lucky that Brandon Stevens played as well as he did and that, that maybe maybe not feel lucky, maybe just feel happy that Brandon, mm. maybe that's the way to say it. And, and, you know, hope this is a real developmental sign because he had a great game. And uh, it, it was probably a good circumstance also, but he had a great game. That was the Christmas gift I did not expect to get was <laughs> watching Brandon Stevens in that game. It was I was very surprised. He played really well. He was super physical coming up in the run blowing up I, as a side note by the way i don't know how you feel about this I, I do not think that the atlanta coaching staff did that offense any favors with the game plan i don't totally know why they thought that getting the defense moving laterally was going to be like such a like a good right. wrinkle necessarily but brandon stevens was really great coming up in the support there you know to help with the linebackers if they were like if um algier was dragging them at all he was he was impressive uh, on another side note as well i thought algier was really impressive hard to bring down yeah he he, he certainly was um and and the, the thing that kept showing up in our notes was that 
um, it was Stevens continued to come up and assist Queen. And it, that, what that speaks to is that there's more of a standard side of the field that we're seeing Queen on, that they're not flipping it uh, all, all the time. And I, I guess it's, it's, it's more typical. You, you, you see him as the chase player, but then if, if, you're, if your opponent decides they want to put the tight end on a different side and whatnot, that may flip for, for the team. And we didn't really see a lot of that in this game. We saw definitely a lot of Stevens and Queen contributing to the same plays, including their sack together. But there's other tackles that they made together in this game too against the run. So, uh, you know, interesting, interesting uh, point that you make there. And I think he was terrific in terms of of his run support in this game. Just it was the it was the game he needed, and he needed to have it before the end of this year. I mean, the Ravens will make decisions. I think they will make a decision anywhere at cornerback and draft one fairly high this year because I think they probably are going to have to, given this entire set of circumstances, probably a desire to sign Roquan Smith, they're probably going to have to let Marcus Peters walk. Mm, yeah. Well, I hope they don't overreact to the Stevens game as as much of a, you know, as great as the game was and it was everyone was relieved to see it. It's just one game. Atlanta is not a good passing offense. They weren't sticking them on Drake, you know. They to a certain not that they were moving him around, but I think scheme, defensive scheme wise, they were probably hiding him in certain ways. You know, like he probably had some responsibilities that entailed uh, you're going to be paired with Queen, and you guys play more of a run support role, and we'll fold Williams over the top or something of that ilk. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I I would hope they don't overreact and think, oh, this is the guy we thought we were getting. Let's lock that down, and we're good to go. This team is not rich enough at cornerback to make a decision like that. You know, they've, they've already benched a couple of guys this year. They, I, they, Stevens is one of them, but they benched JAD and Pepe more decisively uh, mm-hmm. in terms of, of, of what they've done. So when you have two cornerback busts, the same year, you're going to draft another cornerback next year anyway. It's just a matter of where. So they'll, they'll get a guy, whether it's a, whether it's a first round guy, which I think is, is probably actually pretty likely or whether it's a, a a player later in the draft. So we'll see how it works out, but uh but I think that it they'll they won't they won't be drafting a guy to play the slot particularly it has nothing to do with Hamilton and his ability just because they're not going to really believe that the, the that a guy who who is the right size and the right change of direction kind of ability is going to be worthy of a first round pick. I think it'll be an outside aircraft carrier uh corner in the typical Ravens mold that they'll they'll really be targeting. Mm, well, that's that. To, even more than the wide receiver group, I think that the corner, the defensive back group is is prime for the most, uh, the biggest shakeup or the mm-hmm. the the most amount of change. Maybe if they do take a guy in the first round or second round, and a couple of these younger guys develop a little bit, there's going to be such a logjam. You know, I mean, at safety, we already don't know what we're going to do with all these guys, and now if a couple of these young guys at cornerback get healthy or or improve, and then we have another first round guy. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have too many to to know what to do with. Not too many great ones, but too many like like backup depth guys. Yeah, I, I, that's a valid point. They went through this season with too much safety depth, and it turned out to be just enough safety depth at, at, at right, yeah. critical points in the in the season. So uh, they also went into this this season incredibly deep, or it, it thought incredibly deep at corner. I I never believed that. I never believed even for a second that the Ravens were really super deep at corner in terms of their 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 talent level, but they uh uh they certainly there was a lot of point that that Fuller was going to be this extra veteran presence. Obviously, you know, that can work out and it cannot. And and it was this was a not unfortunately. And uh, yeah. 
uh, you know, it, it happens. It's it's not all on him, certainly, anyway, in terms of it's not at all on him in terms of getting hurt. He seemed to be playing at a reasonably good level when he was uh, when he was in there early on. Yeah. All right, Tyler, we have to we have to cut it out for the first show. Fantastic stuff, man. And for your first uh, time, really appreciate it. You're doing great. Uh, Thanks, we'll be buddy. back for part two in a minute. But first of all, tell people one more time where they can find you online. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at CrazyRaven88, spelled with a K. And you can find me uh, semi-annually on the Film Study Ravens podcast. <laughs> all right. Appreciate you being on, uh, Tyler. And Tyler got to start doing Film Study Shorts. Uh, love for you to do a I'd film study to. short and and uh, love for for other folks out there do a film study short as well hit me up with that 20 to 25 minute topic that you're passionate about that's what tyler did tyler what were your first couple topics about do you remember yeah i do the first one um was was talking about after the njabo uh draft i was i was trying to figure out if if you could come up with like a tangible expression for the risk of drafting someone who might not get on the field their first year versus the reward of getting a player who would have been a premier top 15 pick in the second round and just trying to bridge the gap with, with numbers and historical precedents. Okay. So that's, that's a perfect topic. Okay. And it it does not even have to be supported by analytics. If you wanted to come at that from a passion perspective and say, Hey, we can only get that guy once every 10 drafts. Can we get a guy at 45 who's injured for a year and might be a guy who could really come on the second year. Miles Jack comes to mind in the past as a guy who would maybe fit that thing. As a guy that mm. not he might have been available to play right away, but he had some sort of degenerative situation going on that he was he people already thought he wasn't going to play forever. Uh, so which hey, nobody does. But the point being that you can approach that from a from an analytic standpoint. You can approach it from a from a passion standpoint about who you have, how often you have this. But you know, just some thought should go into it because kind of some measured thought about about what's the what what are some of the pros and what are the cons and if 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 you could, if that's all you can do is list the pros and cons that's a great discussion and that's why I loved having Tyler on for that and then Tyler really appreciate you coming on on uh, on Christmas night to record this with sure. me uh, from Thanks your vacation in Lake Tahoe but uh, absolutely and great. let me Ken let me say this to anyone out there who's thinking about it I had no experience ever being on a podcast or any kind of forum like that and. I just hit Ken up and just floated the idea, not trying to be on the podcast. I just thought maybe this is something you could answer in a mailbag or something. And he asked me to come on and it was a very smooth experience. He worked around my schedule and we set the time and I'm sure that I sounded out of my depth, but he has enough knowledge to bridge the gap and it went very smoothly, I thought. Well, appreciate having you on, Tyler. It was was my pleasure to be certain. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. Each week, we bring you stock market outlooks, macroeconomic updates, and investment strategies that can help you succeed. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience about how they navigate uncertain markets. Prepare to be engaged, enlightened, and entertained by listening to the Capital Ideas podcast today. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. 
That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.